So last week, I left you with a cliffhanger. Last week centered on this phrase that we may become partakers of the divine nature. That that's available right here, right now, to become a partaker of the divine nature. We've already stepped right inside of that world through faith. But we have no clue what's available. And it's not automatic. There's something more for us to experience, no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, no matter how much training or Bible study you've been through, that there's more. There is more. It's it's couched in the language of potential. Several things have already been accomplished in this text. Your faith has accomplished eternal life. You are a part of the family of God now. But there's an opportunity that's now been opened through faith, by grace, to become something even more. You don't have to look to a Gnostic to discover it. Peter wants to put it right there on the surface. But it's an opportunity for which you and I must participate in. It's not just a laid back, let go, let God, let's just kind of relax our way into Christian maturity. Let's just kind of mellow our way. Let's start off slow and then back off and just let go and let God. That's not how it works. That's not how this book was written. There's actually a partnership and you and I have to show up for it in order to become active participants in our own growth of becoming partakers of the divine nature. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to um, begin at verse 3. We're not really digging in, but it provides the, the, the ramp, the runway, the context of what Peter is trying to get across to each one of us here today. And we're going to read all the way for, through verse 8. I'm not going to really, really delve deep into verse 8. That's going to be handled next week, 8 and 9. But This is what it says, verses 3 through 8. But the real key, the real core is going to be the second slide, verses 5 through 7. Starting in verse 3. His divine power, he's the hero of the story, by the way. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Well, it's through the knowledge, or a word that we've been looking at, epinosis. Full knowledge, an experiential, relational knowledge of God, a personal relationship with God. Everything pertaining to life and godliness through the epinosis of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. He is so glorious. He is so excellent. He's done this for us and invites us into it. Verse 4, by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises so that through these precious and very great promises, you, me, that we might become partakers of the the divine nature. This is not automatic. It's not like an automated machine. Oops, I slipped into the faith and there I go. There's uh, something that still exists for us to do. A potential a personal responsibility that he's talking about here, but it's, but it's the greatest opportunity that we could ever hope for. And it's open for each one of us. 
that we might become partakers of the divine nature. And then this is already accomplished in the, in the Greek, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And then last week I said, wouldn't you, wouldn't you want that? If you could become a partaker of the divine nature, wouldn't you want to do that? You want to know how? Come back next week, and you did. So here we go. Peter's going to explain how do we become partakers of the divine nature, the heart of our message today. For this very reason. What reason? That we might become partakers of the divine nature. That which exists, that is a potential opportunity beyond your wildest imagination still exists for you and I to step into. For this very reason, this is what you gotta do. And here's what it is. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with goodness. And goodness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. And then verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now in this passage, there's some things are assumed to be true. And the main thing that is assumed to be true is that we are individuals who have exercised faith in what God has already given us, made available to us, that we are people of faith. This is how the book opens up in, in verse, chapter 1, verse 1. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. So if you're here and you believe that Jesus died in your place and you've received that as your own, you have a faith of equal standing of any apostle of the first century. Your faith is just as good as Peter's. Isn't that awesome? And that's already accomplished. It's done. This is the beginning of a glorious journey of intimacy with the Almighty. To be a partaker of the divine. It cannot take place without a simple faith that says, I can't do it. And I believe he did it for me. And I receive that as my own today. I receive the gift. The greatest gift ever given. That Jesus paid it all in his own life, death, in his broken body and his shed blood. And I take it for my own. I'm not trying to prove it. I'm not trying to, to gain it or earn it or, or to pay it back. I just receive it. It's a gift. And faith is what marks the foundation, the beginning of our journey of intimacy with the Almighty. It's the price of admission. It's, it's that which receives grace. It's also what unlocks the opportunity to become partakers of the divine nature. But in order to, to maximize it, to leverage it, to utilize it, we must intentionally show up and begin to work it. There's the language of personal responsibility all over these verses. Now, why is that so important? 
is because, like I said, there's a, uh, a kind of teaching and thinking. We understand what it means. It comes from a, a brand of theology called Keswickian theology. Let go and let God. Okay, and when we understand what that means, we're stressed out, we're trying to please the Lord, we're trying to hedge our bets, we're trying to use wisdom, and in the end, we can't control the universe. The stock market absolutely does drop 800 points sometimes on a Friday after Thanksgiving. It really does. I can't control that. I can be diversified, but even that, I'm going to watch that thing drop. It's just an illustration. There's things that I can't control, and I think I understand this Keswickian uh, theology. Let go and let God. But here's the downside. There, there are some people, individuals, there's probably a strain in each one of us, or we say, actually, I'm more like that than not, but we, are, we could be touched by laziness and sloppiness. We're schlubs and clunky, and we just go, eh, yeah, God's got it. And we get, we get lazy and, and lackadaisical and sloppy. And we think that it's just, just God. And then our favorite verse, we, we quote Philippians 1.6, right? I'm convinced of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to, to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Oh, look, he's going to complete his work. You don't have to stress out. Just relax. Just go with the flow. And we end up being lazy, irresponsible believers who have stepped right inside. We've, we've exercised faith, and then we just back off to say, if it's, gonna, if it's supposed to be, it'll just happen. Because we're lazy. We don't like this idea of personal responsibility and try, and we get confused. We can't, somehow we, we have a hard time that there are tensions in the New Testament is it God completing his good work in me? Well, if I actually try, I mean, I, am, I, am I not like just trusting God's good work? And somehow we, we don't know how to put these two together, but the Bible has no problem, no such problem. In fact, back to, to Paul's letter to the Philippian church where we like to quote verse 1-6, um, and that God's just gonna be faithful to complete it later on in Philippians chapter, chapter uh, Philippians chapter 3, we have this scripture where it says that we are to work out our faith, our own salvation. This is Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it. We're actually supposed to take responsibility for that which God has already done for us. Work it out with fear and trembling. And then here's the balance, the next verse later. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Take it back to 2 Peter chapter 1. These verses are loaded with the language of personal responsibility and partnering with God in what he is doing in us. Let me point out a few things. The first word, and, and it's unfortunate to say that in the ESV, which I believe is the very best word-for-word -word equivalency, very best English translation, word-for-word, -word, and yet this word gets missed. The ideas here, 
but it gets missed. In the, in the, uh, uh, in the Greek, peris pharaoh is a word that doesn't quite get translated. And it's where we get an idea called adding on your part. Adding on your part. God's done his part. Adding on your part. And that word uh, could also mean to bring in a very literal translation, to bring in alongside of. God has, has blessed you. He's given you salvation through faith. Now, that faith that you exercised, bring in alongside that faith. You do it. Don't wait around for him to do it. He told you to do it. Okay? Adding on your part. The word for make every effort, spude in the Greek, to make haste, to be eager, do your very best, because the divine nature is not an automated process. So make haste over this. And then when it says supplement, supplement your faith, this is a great word, epikorageo. Epikorageo, you hear the word chorus or choreography in there. And what the, the meaning of this in classic Greek was to bear the expense of a chorus. This is what the, the uh, ancient Greek state would do. They'd find a wealthy individual and say, hey, you're in charge of sponsoring a chorus. Here's eight singers. They're on you. You pay their tab. Make sure that they're trained. Meet all their needs. And it was actually quite an honor. Like, oh, oh, the emperor asked me to, to sponsor this chorus. And uh, then it would become a contest that the chorus leader, it wasn't necessarily that this person was the conductor, but they were the benefactor. And then they would have contests with other chorus leaders like, my people are better supplied than your people. And that's the word picture here to supplement. That, that, that you put these together and it's the language of intentionality. The language of personal responsibility. Adding on your part. Make every effort. Supplement. You're the chorus leader. Make sure your players are well supplied. That this is putting it back on us. There is something for us to do. Isn't that so wonderful? I don't want to be bored and just waiting around. There's something that I get to do that God says it's your job. And what is my job? The faith that I've received, the faith that I've been given, the faith that I've exercised in believing and trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, I now get to supply something to that faith. I get to build it up. I get to strengthen and stabilize my own faith, and this is on me. He has made it possible. It's all right there. The bottom line for our message today, bottom line that I think says it all, we will not grow up unless we show up. We will not grow up unless we show up. That's, it doesn't work to let go and let God when it comes to Christian maturity. Growing up into the divine nature, to participate, to partake in the divine nature, is not an automated thing. We will not grow up into the divine nature unless we show up. 
We bring our strength and our energy and our intentionality. We take responsibility. Yes, it is God who wills to work in us for his good pleasure. But you and I get to show up. We get to participate in this. Let me give you a picture of what this is like. It was February 2013 on a piece of private property in Northern California in the Sierra Nevadas. To this day, um, several years later, almost uh, eight, nine years later, the couple is still anonymous. They go by the, the pseudonyms John and Mary. They were walking on their property, their piece of private property, February 2013, and something under a tree caught their eye. They went over to investigate, and they found a portion of an old tin can sticking up out of the ground at the base of a tree. It was stuck there. So John got a stick of wood and started to scratch it out. And he lifted it. He was barely able to even lift it up, and he was convinced it was filled with lead paint. Why? Because it felt like lead. Of course, lead paint doesn't weigh as much as lead, but that's what he said. He picked it up and he carried it back to his farmhouse. And he said it actually made him tired carrying this thing back to the farmhouse. It was so heavy. And he opened it up. And what did he find? Oh my, oh my. Eventually they dug up, not one, but eight cans containing 1,427 rare mint condition gold coins dating back to the 1800s. Nobody knows whose they were or how they got there. They just know when they got there. These coins were so magnificent, there was one of them that on its own merit $1 million. It was the number one largest collection of buried gold coins ever discovered in the U.S., totaling over $10 million. Wow. This is a beautiful picture of what the Lord's done for us. He's planted something on our property. He's given us signs, hints, and clues. Oh, it's so heavy. I can barely lift it. Actually, no, not really. But it's probably bigger than that. He's given us an opportunity to exercise faith. The first one's right there on the surface. First one's poking up above the surface of the ground saying, hey, look at me. I died on the cross for you. Come over here. Untold treasure right here on the surface. See me. Pick me up. Take me home. I'm yours. And John and Mary picked it up and took it home. And then the thought occurred to them. What if there's more? Guess what they did? They went back with picks and shovels. And they found another one. And then another one. And then another one, and then guess what they did? They actually went and they bought a metal detector. I think that's a good investment at that point. Yeah, until they uncovered all eight of these cans of treasure. 
Can you imagine if they just walked past and go, huh, old rusty old tin can. There were always miners in the area. Bunch of trash on our property. Eh. Or what if they went and they picked up the first one, carried it back, opened the lid and said, oh my goodness, you gotta be kidding. This is more than I could ever spend. And they just gave up. They just relaxed their way into being multimillionaires. When their property contained Many, many more millions of dollars of buried treasure. And yet it's a picture of what we do. When we don't go all in, we don't show up. We just take what's there on the surface, say, good enough for me. Glad I hope like, hopefully it all works out. Instead of pressing it and going, man, there's untold riches and treasures available for us. And the Lord's put it right there on our property, but you gotta show up. You gotta show up and you gotta dig it up. And that's the picture I believe Peter is giving us when he's using these word pictures like, come alongside and add on your part. Making every effort. Supplement your faith with. It's not done. You've got a can full of gold coins. There's more to be had. And that we are to bring our best to this. So he goes into this amazing list of seven magnificent Christian virtues. Seven magnificent Christian virtues. I want to just try to explain this as simply as possible. These are not mutually exclusive virtues. Take your pick, pick and choose. Peter has tied these all together. Some have even described them as daughters of one another. And the idea is he's going to say, your faith, I want you to do your part to bring it alongside and supply all of its need using, and then gives the first virtue that is to complement our faith. And then he describes that, that virtue and why it's so important to faith. Out of that virtue is born yet another one. It proceeds from the first virtue, but also it modifies and explains and legitimizes the previous virtue. You follow? So they belong to one another. It's not just simple like take your pick, hopefully you get a few of them, enjoy the divine nature. They actually flow out of and describe one another. You good with that? But here's another little secret. We're gonna do a little audit going through them. But here's what I want you to understand as they are linked together, daisy-chained together, is that the lack of any one of these virtues will result in a dysfunctional disciple. So uh, fill in the blank, say it another way, any neglected virtue will result in a significant and ugly dysfunction. And I'll describe those as we go. All seven of them are available. Remember, we got the first can out. There's seven more buried beneath that we are to go after in our own life, one at a time, and supply our faith with each one in, in succession. All seven are manifestations of the divine nature. All seven are means of participation with the divine nature. All seven are a treasure trove of virtue and delight. So, one flowing out of the other. The first one, go ahead and put it up there. I think it's virtue in the ESV. 
but I put down goodness. Goodness, aretes, they're all the same. So this is filled with gold coins too, or soup, but don't tell the kids, okay? Goodness, we're going to bring goodness in alongside of faith. And what this word, we already saw it in, I think, verse 4, God's goodness, God's um, virtue, or Jesus' virtue, it means moral excellence. It is a virtuous course of thought, feeling, or action. It also included in classical Greek modesty or purity. That this is a general goodness. That a follower of Jesus, someone who has inherited salvation, they've received the gift. They've, they've taken it by faith. That these people should be, are not always, but they should be honest and kind and modest and fair. They're not known as shrewd businessmen who get the upper hand. They're, they, they're not potty mouths. There is a general goodness about this follower of Jesus that Peter's saying, man, would you supply to your faith this kind of moral excellence? Because faith without moral excellence is hypocrisy, and it's confusing, and it's not what you were saved for. It's what you were saved from. You were saved to escape the corruption that is in the world through sinful temptation. So could you start to supply that to your faith, this kind of moral goodness? Here's the second one, filled with gold. That one I, I labeled KB, which is some kind of beans. But don't tell the kids. I, cause you rip the label off, you gotta know what you're eating next time you open it. Because um, these are temporary and I took the labels off. Um, this is self, it's the wrong one. Where's knowledge? There it is. There it is. Knowledge. Now, here's how these two relate. Even as I've taken goodness and added it, moral excellence, I've supplied my faith with moral excellence, that as I grow in moral excellence, one of the virtues that must be in moral excellence is knowledge. This is curious because this time, instead of epinosis, Peter just uses the word gnosis. Why is that? Peter's whole point of 2 Peter is full experiential knowledge, epinosis. This time he uses gnosis. Why is that? Gnosis, you cannot live and experience epinosis beyond your gnosis. This is more of an intellectual understanding of God and Jesus and theology and life and wisdom. And here's how these two work together. If you're going to be a man or woman of faith that is growing, then you need to supply moral excellence. But moral excellence, marked by ignorance, is not moral excellence. Ignorance is a choice. Ignore ants. And there are some believers that are intellectually lazy. They don't like to think about the deep things of God. They don't like to study the scriptures. They, oh, it makes their brain hurt. It makes them tired. They don't want to read theology. They don't want to read their Bible. And I'm going to tell you that's not a virtue. And you're going to miss out on the divine nature. Intellectual laziness is, it's not goodness. So in order for goodness to be goodness, there has to be a growth. Lifelong learning is is 
how we say it. That we are continuing to grow. And again, it doesn't matter how many years you've been in the faith or in church. You are pressing in to understand the deep and wonderful things of God. Okay, what's the next one here? We got uh, self-control. Let's see if self-control I can. There it is. There it is. It was the last one I picked up. Self-control. The word in the Greek, egkrates, to have one's passions under control. And yes, this, this could be any impulsive, hot-tempered anger. You're so frustrated with your wife. You're so frustrated with your kid. You're so frustrated in that, in that board meeting. You're just going to let them have it. And you just blew it. You just violated the divine nature. You just cut yourself out, off from participating in the divine nature by, by just blurting it out. Now, boy, I've absolutely done this before. Some of you experienced it, and I'm sorry. Self-control, to have one's passions under control. Um, in classical Greek, especially sexual desire. Okay, so think about this. To be one who has faith in goodness or virtue and, and knowledge. You know a lot about God, but you are a hothead, impulsive. You live by your appetites. That is a train wreck waiting to happen. You know the name Ravi Zacharias. Had more of this than anyone that I know. And none of this. And for that reason, we have a mess on our hands. What do we do with our Ravi Zacharias books? I know there's still really good insight in, in apologetics in them, but it makes it really hard to want to read Ravi anymore. And he's dead. He's now stood before Jesus and has to answer for that. Here's the next one is perseverance, okay? And this, this is the word, it shows up. Perseverance, what's the other word? Steadfastness. In the ESV, steadfastness. I mixed and matched some of these, I apologize for that. Steadfastness, hupomeno, it's a compound word, to remain under. It's the idea of a really heavy weight. And instead of going, I gotta take a break. Ugh, whew. You're going, no, let's get to, back to the truck. I'm almost there. Uh, don't quit and you remain under the burden and the load. Because here's the deal. Anyone can have self-control for a moment. You can jump in the icy pool and get right out and towel off and get in the hot tub. But can you stay in the icy cold pool? Okay? Self-control on steroids. Over days and weeks and months and years and you don't complain you, you exercise gratitude. You say, Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for the strength sufficient to the challenges today. And we remain under over time. Listen to what the brother of Jesus said about this virtue. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Instead, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This virtue itself does some things in Christian character that makes believers perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. So powerful is the power of perseverance or steadfastness. I'm, uh, I'm one quarter thin. 
Got any Finns out there? I know my Finnish sisters that are part of the congregation that are 100% Finn. Um, so this is Finland. Okay, up, up near across the bay from, uh, from uh, Sweden, right? And I didn't know all this. I've been to Finland one time back in um, 1990 and saw the gravesite of some of my relatives, the Latos. And uh, I didn't know this about the Finns, but there is a, a national virtue, that's something that's ethnic to them, called sisu. Sisu. Finns are known for sisu. It's a kind of toughness. It's a kind of robustness in the face of adversity. It's, it's a kind of what, what we Americans call grit. Sisu. To take the definition, it's a Finnish concept described as a stoic determination, tenacity of purpose, grit, bravery, resilience, and hardiness held by the Finns to express their national character. Steadfastness. And that we're to add to our self-control a long-suffering steadfastness. What's the next one? Next one is godliness. We looked at this word a couple weeks ago. Uh, Eusebius. And it's a compound word made up of two Greek words. Well or good. And worship or worshiping. Good worshiping. Or a God word life. That all of life, no matter what it is you're doing, eating or drinking, dancing, running, working, uh, whatever it is you're doing, it is a, a Godward lifestyle. God in my eating, in my drinking, in my sleeping, in my lying down and getting up. Um, in, the, in the classical Greek, it was the idea of never being far from the gods. And in our case, from God himself. That all of life in this kind of Framework. Romans 12.1, the Apostle Paul said this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Why? If he's got our bodies, he's got everything else. So your very body is to be a living sacrifice of worship to God, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Because what good is perseverance without a Godward life? You just become uh, an egotistical, I'm tougher than you, all of you whiny little victim babies, attitude, judgmental condemning of others that are not as strong, but when it's linked with a Godward life, there's a kindness and humility as we suffer under the will of God. Let's go to the next one. This is brotherly love built on the word phileo or Philadelphia. It's kind of warm brotherly or sisterly affection for all of our brothers and sisters in the church. Local church, city church, national church, universal church around the world for all times. We love Christians everywhere. Even those that believe on some differently on some minor points of doctrine. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ, don't we? See, this is a... a, a Peace of participating in the divine nature because God loves all his children. And he wants us to love one another. In fact, you know what he says is, is godliness without brotherly love is a lie. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. I didn't write that. John said that. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he cannot see. Okay, and then the final one, the anchor, is agape. Agape, I don't have room for these. It's all right here. Ooh, ark. I can ark them. Should have a helper up here. Agape, this is the anchor position for all of these virtues as they flow out of and back into one another. We get down at the heart of it is a kind of love that is committed to the well-being of others at all costs. Even when we stop desiring to do so, we follow through with this kind of commitment to others. We keep our vows. We keep our word, even when it starts to hurt us. We look out for others Believers or not, we care deeply for others. I love this. This is what Jesus did. This is what he said in John 15, 13. Greater agape has no one than this, than that a man lay down his life for a friend. And then he actually did it. That's agape. Willing to actually lose everything so that someone else could move forward and move forward out and move up. This is the heart. Can you imagine, I mean, these are small cans, but can you imagine those filled with gold coins? Can you imagine walking away from this, a treasure beyond our wildest imagination? Could you imagine just saying, I'll take this and I'll run. That's good enough for me. Whatever else lies beneath, I'm okay. I don't care. I got enough when there is so much more for us to experience of the divine nature. When when the Lord has put this on our property and he says, get after it, sons and daughters. Be responsible. Do everything in your power to supply your faith with each virtue. And we say, maybe next year. It's ridiculous when what we have available to us, something beyond the imagination of the most crazy mystic, is available to each and every one of us. But all we have to do is show up. Show up. We will not grow up unless we show up. How does this work? Can I just point you in a couple different directions? How in the world would we do this How would we grow in these things? How do we do what Peter's asking? Because he's not giving us a lot of detail now. How do you grow in these things? But I would tell you that experience in history tells us a lot, other parts of scripture. So here it is. First off, I I would personally do a prayer audit. Each one of these words, and I would go, God, where am I at in this story? What is left Uh, to be supplied by me in my walk of faith. And pray that through. Journal that through with the Lord. How about share in trusted accountability? People that are going, that that actually have your best at heart and and, and instead of going, yeah, I've noticed that. You are a pretty stingy idiot. You're like, ow, ow, get the knife out. I'm not telling you to, to share it with those people. Find some people that love you right where you're at but want to see you grow. And say, you know, I'm struggling with this thing right here, this um, godliness thing. Because I'll tell you, when I go on on vacation, (laughs) that one stays behind. When I go to Las Vegas, this does not come with me. I don't want to do that anymore. Can you pray for me on my next business trip? 
and have some people that will pray for you. Pick a word in 2022. Take your weakest one and say, God, this year, I want to grow in this. Self-control. I'm a hot-blooded whatever. I'm explosive. God, would you take the edge off? Would you take the triggers out? Would you take the landmine out of the street of, of my life so that I'm not so hot but cool-headed? Maybe you need a pastor, a mentor, a disciple, or a counselor because some of these have been placed in there or the lack, and you're affected by trauma. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. Do a Bible study on one of these virtues. All throughout Scripture, Genesis to Revelation. Find someone who emulates that quality wonderfully and walk in their footsteps. But in all these things, let's be intentional. Let's grow up and into the divine nature. Can we just end in this? Because I know that any time, any given time, there are individuals that are in the room or watching online, and you've never even picked up the first can. You've never even picked it up and owned it and said, Jesus, you did this for me? The moment the property was transferred to you, you owned this all. But you got to go walk over and pick it up. And if you're a person, you say, hey, I, I've, I've been religious all my life and trying to please God with good works, and I feel like I'm a lot better than other people. That's called self-righteousness. That's ugly. You're no better than anyone else. Or you go, oh, I'm much worse than everyone else. No, you're not. There's, only, there's not good guys, bad guys. There's only us guys. And all of us need to be forgiven, and all of us need a Savior. And the Savior's made this available to you. You've noticed it on those walks you go on with your friend or, or uh, the book that keeps on catching your eye or that sneaking suspicion as you're going to bed at night. That's the Lord tapping on your heart saying, would you pick me up? Would you let me in? There's an untold treasure called the forgiveness of sins and eternal salvation just waiting for you, but you've got to go pick it up. Take it as your own. It's yours. Won't you do that today? Would you bow with me? How would you do that? Say to the Lord, God, I, I want to believe. I want to receive Jesus. If you died on the cross for me, that I might have life, that I might have a relationship with the God of the universe, I'm in. So right now, I receive that as my own. And then for all those who have done that, and yet there's an opportunity for us to participate in the divine nature, that we would come to the Lord humbly and say, I'm not finished yet. There's undone business. There's a work of grace that needs to take place in me. And you name whatever virtue that is. Or the, the, the couple of them. Because Lord, we don't want to miss out on untold wealth and riches. We want to become full-blown participators in the divine nature. We want to be a church that's known for this. Until you return. Pray in Jesus' name together.